tonight. Well, this morning we are starting a brand new sermon series in the book of 2 Thessalonians called Until the Return of the King. Now, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul soon after he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonian church. He heard that they had obeyed his instructions, yet in their midst he had heard that there were false teachings about who Jesus is and, who, and what he has done and how he would return. The letter shows us, though, the letter that he wrote, the Second Thessalonians, shows the truth about King Jesus' return and encourages them to persevere in the midst of persecution. Now, much like the Thessalonians, we also hear false teachings about who Jesus is, how we are to live, and when He will return, all of which are usually stem from a misunderstanding of God's Word or misapplying of God's Word. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, like the Thessalonians, you will face persecution of some sort, now or in the future. And as we read the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, know that the truth of God that was written back in Paul's day is as true then as it is now. This morning we will be reading the first chapter of this book, which focuses on giving thanks, as Jesse pointed out. Giving thanks to the King for who He is, for what He has done, and what He will do. Let us read together from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-12. to this is the word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because of your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for other is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering." since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be revived in His saints and be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every good work by power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, 
Holy and Almighty God, please open our hearts and open our minds that we may not only hear Your Word, but You may speak to us that we may um, see Your glory and we may glorify You with our words, our actions, and our deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when I was growing up, there was something very important. Actually, there was a lot of things very important that my parents taught me. One of the most important, though, was the need to write thank you notes to people for things that they have either done for you or given to you. Now, sadly, I, and as many people nowadays, don't write thank you notes. And in a larger snapshot of our culture, we don't even really say thank you to someone for something that they have done. Some might say that this cultural change has to do with how we interact with each other. Prior to the tech boom, there were only two ways to communicate, either face-to-face or on the phone. Now, online, we can communicate via email, social media, texting, or even video chat. But I think this cultural change is more foundational than just how we interact with each other. It all comes down to how, so this more foundational aspect of it, of how we interact with the most important being of all, of God himself. For if there is anyone that deserves our thanks and is worthy of praise, it is the Lord, the King, the creator of all things. For he has given his grace and his peace and made us for a purpose. He also provides fellowship, spiritual growth, and perseverance, all of which is worthy of thanks. Furthermore, he is also just and he makes things just, which is worthy of praise. Whether or not our culture has shifted away from giving thanks, the Lord is worthy of your thanks and praise. And we as His creation must proclaim this as an act of worship of Him. We see this plainly in our passage this morning and throughout the whole chapter. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Here we see a reminder of God's acts of grace and peace. As Paul writes this letter, as with all of his letters, he begins with a section of giving thanks to God as well as to his audience for what God has done and for how he has, and how, what he has done for others. His focus on this thanksgiving section is on God's grace, which is of special importance to Paul. He writes about God's grace all the time. It is the internal framework of every single one of his letters. Because it's the internal framework of the gospel. Which has changed his life. For prior to Paul's conversion, he was a persecutor of the church. Seeking to destroy it and all the followers of God. We see this back in Acts 7 when Paul was consenting to the death of the deacon Stephen as he was proclaiming the truth of God. Yet God, by His grace, radically changes Paul. And he becomes one of the most persecuted proponents of the faith. Verse 2 says this when he's talking about grace from our first chapter in 2 Thessalonians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So far we have seen this word grace a lot. But what is it? What does grace mean? Well, simply put, grace means unmerited favor Towards sinners. Or in other words, God's love on display, forgiving sin, which is the breaking of God's law, and bringing a person into a right a relationship with God. This grace 
is the forgiveness of sin. For all have sinned from Adam onward. And because of sin, each and every one of us from our birth is an enemy of God and not in a right relationship with Him. But by the grace of God, by His love, He sent one who would be the forgiveness of sin. Jesus the Son, who lived a perfect life according to God's law. And then because of the debt that we owe to God, because of sin, Jesus took the penalty. He suffered and died, forgiving the debt. On the third day, He rose again from the grave. And all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And will spend eternity with God in His presence. Because they are no longer enemies of God, but one of His children. This grace is the Gospel. And it is so important that Paul begins with this, this letter because he is bathing in it so that the Thessalonians understand it and all that flows from it. For, for a grace-filled life is something that they share. For they are partakers of this grace that God has bestowed. And if you are a follower of Christ, if Jesus is your Savior, you are also partakers of this grace. And benefit from the peace that flows from it. Peace with God, which we saw in the second part of that verse. For grace that God gives reconciles you with Him. For without God's grace, you are a slave to sin. But with God's grace, you are one of His children. Because of the righteousness which He gave by the works of Christ. Making you right with Him. This, this is something that we can give thanks to God for. For he did not have to send Jesus. He did not have to send a Savior. But because of his gracious love, he did so. And we see that he promised this all the way back in Genesis 3 and how it comes to fruition in the Gospels. The Savior sent by grace, the Savior who is God himself, is worthy of praise. Because God fulfilled His promise. Because of the wondrous works of love that He has shown. For as Romans 5, 8 shows us, God showed His love in this for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. This is amazing grace shown by the Father and executed by the Son for creation. Praise be to God from whom all blessings flow. Praise to Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So how can we praise God from whom all blessings flow? By having, a, having grace be the anthem of your life, as we see in the doxology which I just read. By this I mean if you are a follower of Christ, live the, your life with the grace of of God as your worldview. Live according to His Word. Showing grace to others because the grace He has shown to you. Sharing the Gospel of grace with others in conversations. And doing so all the time. For if you have had your life changed by the grace of God, there's something that has changed in you. For grace is a loud word. And a loud concept, and it cannot be kept silent. It needs to be shared. Praise be to God for His grace and bestowing it upon His people. 
As we move in our passage, um, you can see two long paragraphs left in the chapter, which take up um, almost the rest of it. Now, in the Greek, when Paul was writing, he basically loved writing really long sentences, something that in grammar school you were probably told not to do. All right, so from verse 3 to verse 10 is just one really, really long sentence. But he did so to communicate one very important point, but intricate and in-depth, talking about grace, about what God has provided for his people. And starting verses 3 and 4, he gives the reason why we must give thanks to the Lord. Scripture abundantly shows us over and over again how God provides. He provided safety for Noah and the ark, as we saw about a month ago. He provided leadership, miracles, and direction for Moses. He provided wisdom and a heart for God to King David. The examples in Scripture are too many to list. They're almost incalculable. But how does God provide for His people today? He does so in a manner which He always has. And we see this in verses 3-4 to which says this, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you. For one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. In these two verses, or in these, yeah, in these two verses, we see that God provides fellowship, growth in grace, an increase in love, and perseverance for his children each of which is worthy of thanks. Let's look at the first one, fellowship. Or in other words, Christians loving and growing with each other. We see here that the Apostle Paul has found fellowship with the Thessalonians. And he is giving thanks for their fellowship. Now this is something that many Christians just assume that they will find instead of seeking it out. Fellowship is not usually something that is just casual picked up and dropped off it's not fleeting but it's deep and it's long term we can see this by example of paul and the churches that he wrote letters to not only the thessalonians but the ephesians the philippians the galatians and in other places christian fellowship is integral and it's an intentional aspect and it has its benefits which we see flow out in subsequent verses Yet, unlike Paul, many times followers of God look only to those in their church for fellowship. Now hear me clearly, I'm not saying that you should should only fellowship with people here today or online. What I am saying is that that should not be your only fellowship. We see this in letters previously mentioned. Paul is seeking to connect churches all around the known world so they can fellowship with one another. Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, please not only seek fellowship with Christians who hold the exact same views as you. If you are a Bible-believing Christian who is part of this church community, or or if you have found a Bible-believing Christian who's not part of this church community, don't dismiss them just because of that. For they may provide you fellowship that you have never experienced before. This is true in my life. 
One of my closest friends, who's also a pastor out, um, out in Indiana, is from a non-reformed church background. Yet the fellowship that we have is deep. It affects me personally. We talk all the time and he helps me grow. How we've ministered to each other and to each other's families has been invaluable in my walk with Jesus. The fellowship that we have is deep. It's long-term. And it's something that Scripture calls us to. Even if you already have fellowship within this body, use the example of Paul and reach out to other Bible-believing Christians for additional fellowship. And praise be to God that He puts people in our lives for fellowship. He creates it. And the impact that it has on your life and your friends and your families and your neighbors is, is far beyond what we can even comprehend. Seek the fellowship that He provides with other brothers and sisters in Christ. In the second half of verse 3, we see that we must give thanks to God for providing growth in grace. Paul specifically says this, because your faith is growing abundantly. Now, not only faith of the Thessalonians, uh, not only the faith of the Thessalonians is growing because of their fellowship that they're having with Paul, but that the fellowship that they're having amongst themselves is causing them to grow. Now, it's not the individual Christian who is causing it to grow, but it is God by His Spirit working in and through them. Because He is the one who gives you grace. He is the author and perfecter of faith. He grows you out of His love for you and, your, and His desire for you to be in accordance with His Word. Growth and grace happens when God is increasing your love for Him and for others. In the last part of verse 3, we says this, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. God grows our love for Him and for others so we can act upon it. Love God by seeking Him and loving others. Sharing the gospel in word and deed. Praying for them even though you may not like an individual coming alongside them, walking with them through all areas of life, like our church motto, walking side by side, just as God is with you. Now, this is not easy, and God knows it. Therefore, He graciously not only provides fellowship, growth, and love, but perseverance. And we see this at the end of verse 4. This word persevering, it's one we hear about a lot these days. Even in the news, early on in the pandemic, I remember reading one headline that was calling people, the people of Virginia, to persevere, hold on through everything that was going on, and just keep moving forward. Yet no matter how much self-confidence we can have, no matter how deep we can look for an inner perseverance in ourselves, it will always come up short like a runner being told to dig deep so that they can finish the race, they cannot hold that last ounce of energy forever. Their stamina will eventually fade. And this is the same with our attempt at perseverance without God. Yet thanks be to God, for He gives perseverance for the trials, the temptations, and the persecutions that we could not possibly hope to overcome on our own. We are frail and weak, and sin has made us so. 
We cannot do anything of eternal consequence without God giving it to us because He is sovereign over all things, both in His power and His will. Yet out of love, the Lord bestows perseverance to help His followers through our afflictions. And He gives this to you so that you can grow in Him, trusting Him and applying the hope that you have in Him. God also gives perseverance not only to help you, but as an example to those that are around you, both who are followers of God and not. For perseverance from heaven is not something that can be completely quantified. It is something that the world cannot fully understand. It brings up conversations with others that we can share the gospel in. Not boasting about our perseverance for our own sake, but instead boasting of the love that God has for the world. For those of you who are followers of Christ, the example, examples of perseverance that are seen in all of Scripture and in our lives remind us to trust in God for perseverance instead of relying upon ourselves. You may say this in the people of the lives around you or in Christian history. I encourage you, if you like to read like I do, and love to read about um, the past, to, to read about Christians who persevered through great trials and even death in the midst that God gave them perseverance. I encourage you to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an eye-opening journey through history about faithful followers of Christ who persevered in faith until they were martyred. Trials, tribulations, and persecution. None of these things will end until two events happen. Either we die or until Christ returns. And the latter is what we're going to be looking at in the next section of our passage, verses 5 to 10, which say this, this is evidence of righteous judgment, oh, sorry, of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. We see in the second half of verse 7 that the Lord will return. He will fulfill His promise to return to earth, to bring His people home with the power and might that He has. And while we do not know the day, while we do not know the hour, He will return and bring justice. True, complete, full justice that we have long desired. And for this, we must give Him thanks. For the Lord is the judge, and He is perfectly just, more than any earthly judge could possibly be. And while some may claim that it is unfair to have a judge who is not like us, who is not a mere human, 
No human can be a perfect judge of sin because of their sin. Therefore, only God can be the judge. And He will use His power, His might, His perfection to act in perfect divine judgment, which we all desire to see. For everyone will be judged according to their works to see if they are worthy of the kingdom of God. And verses 5 and 7, they show us if a person is a follower of God, they are also considered worthy of the kingdom of God. But it is not based on their works. For they cannot boast, as Ephesians 2 shows us, for their works are like filthy rags. It is only by the grace of God that followers of Christ are worthy of the kingdom of God. For their works will not be judged. Instead, the works of Christ will be judged on their behalf. For He lived a perfect life, died a perfect sacrificial death from sin, and was raised to life so that any who call upon His name are judged by His works and not their own. Being justified, being made right by Christ, for He is the just one, rather than being judged by our own merit. Since God is just and He rightly judges, if you are not a follower of Christ, you will be judged according to your own works instead of Christ. And sadly, any works that you have accomplished are tainted because of sin. No matter how many elderly women you help cross the street, no matter how much money you give to charity, no matter how many organs you donate, no matter how small your carbon footprint could be, if you are judged slowly by, or solely by your works, you are not worthy of the kingdom of God. And you will be sentenced to eternal destruction forever away from the presence of the Lord. Now you may be thinking, eternal destruction. On the surface, it doesn't seem as bad as it could be, doesn't it? I mean, destruction means I'll be destroyed sooner or later, right? It'll, it'll end. I'll be gone and there'll be nothing left. At some point, the torture will end and my soul will be destroyed forever. But will it? No, as, as we sadly know, as we look closely at the text, that's, that line of thinking is not right at all. This is not what this verse is communicating. Hell is real and eternal. And the intent of the Greek words that were written was eternal punishment. Everlasting punishment forever from which there is no parole, there is no escape, and there is no fellowship. There is good news, though. It is not too late. The Lord has not yet returned. Seek the Lord where He is found. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved, as we see in the book of Acts. For, just, for the just Lord will return and He will act justly. And while we do not know the day and while we do not know the hour, we do know from His promises He is returning. And as verse, said, verse 8 says, He will return in flaming fire. If you want to know more about this grace that God has given you, I'd love to speak to you more about this after the service or talk to an elder or a faithful Christian that you trust. We would love to speak about the love and the grace of God with you. This is something that we can thank God for, not only by bringing grace, but fulfilling His promise to return and bringing His people 
to Himself. So rest in the promises of God if you know Jesus as your Savior. Abide in His love and share the Gospel with others. For you do not know if a person you are speaking to is a follower of God. You may not know that and you don't know if they will turn to Him. For God calls us to share the Gospel in word and deed with all who we come in contact with, even to the hardest of hearts. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for your neighbors. This is the central theme of what we've been looking at all year long. Prayer. To pray to God by praising Him, by thanking Him, by asking Him for provision and interceding on the behalf of others, especially those who do not know Christ. For God hears and God answers our prayers. And we can give thanks to Him for the grace that He bestows. Now so far this morning, we have seen that we must give thanks to the Lord for His grace and His peace, as well as His provision and His justice. Lastly, this morning, we're going to see that we must give thanks to God for giving us purpose. Now the question of what is my purpose in life is asked by so many people, regardless of culture, gender, family, or of origin. And there have been hundreds of thousands of books asking this question, and usually coming to all different kinds of answers. This question is asked so often because it's something that's at the core of our being. Why do I exist? Why am I here on earth? And what am I to do with the time that has been given to me? If you walk into almost any bookstore, there's usually an entire shelf, maybe even multiple shelves of books, hundreds of thousands possibly. All of them have different nuanced answers to that question of why do I exist? What is my purpose? And all of these have one thing in common. They are usually all self-focused. Something that we can complete on our own. Like being the best version of yourself. Believing in yourself. Seeking to leave the world better than you have it. As I was preparing to think through all of these things, I just kept coming up with different Disney phrases that I had seen in cartoon movies. All of these are self-serving purposes. They're focused on what you can do by yourself or what makes you happy. And while some of these answers have a grain of truth to them, they are not what your life's purpose is. What your chief end is, is found in verses 11 and 12, which say this, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The key to this, answer, the key to this question and the answer is in the middle of verse 12. So that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. This is one of the verses which we get our first question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which says this, as as you'll see on the screen, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A short and compact answer, yet a lot can be unpacked from it. 
What does it mean to glorify? What does it mean to enjoy? Let's first look at what it means to glorify. To glorify means to lift up, to make known, to praise. According to our passage, this means that our main purpose in life is to praise God. To make Him known, not only to others, but to ourselves. So we truly understand who He is and what He has done for us. Meaning to grow in Him, as we've already spoken about. Now this is something that's not really easy to do. It's something that you can't learn how to do in a day, or even a year. This is a lifelong mission. Glorifying Him by giving thanks to Him is what we see in our passage. And the best part of this lifelong mission is that it is fulfilling. All of those other ways that you could read about in those books and bookstores, it's not fulfilling. It's not going to last. But but the calling that God has placed upon your life, your chief end, that is fulfilling. For all of the world's views on purpose are empty and hollow. They are something that you can complete on your own. And when you do have app happiness, it's fleeting, like a dream. Yet God's purpose for you is fully fulfilling. He is the one who works in you to accomplish it by His Spirit. For you cannot come to faith on your own. You cannot do good works on your own. You cannot glorify God on your own. He is the one who makes you able to fulfill your purpose to glorify Him, because that is how He made you. To glorify the One who gives you purpose. To glorify the One who provides for you all that you have. In this, God also provides you the ability to enjoy Him. Now, we don't see this direct word enjoy in the verse, but the concept is throughout it. Especially in verse 12. For it is by His grace that we are able to fulfill our purpose that He gives us. And we can enjoy Him because if you are a follower of God, He has given you that grace that we already spoken about. The forgiveness of sin. As Paul shows us throughout the first chapter, grace is the framework of our lives. It is the framework of this letter and it is to be the framework which we live by. The worldview that which we view all of life through. So rest in the purpose that God has given you. To glorify and enjoy Him forever. Resting in the promises of God. Relying on the grace that He freely gives. Praising Him for His love for you. To create you. To give you purpose. Praise Him for caring for every aspect, every moment, every second of your life from eternity to eternity. Praising Him for His power and giving His people the ability to do good works in His name. And above all, giving thanks to Him for He is just. He is loving. He is caring. He is providing. And He is the giver of grace. Praise to the Lord for His eventual return. Praise to the Lord for His grace and His peace. Praise to the Lord for His justness. Praise to the Lord for His provision and for giving us purpose and fulfilling it in us. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for giving us Your love and Your grace. 
I would like us to close our sermon by singing a song that we've already sung today and heard read, the doxology. I'd like us to sing it a cappella style to show us that we must proclaim by praising and thanking God for the grace He has bestowed and making it the anthem of our lives. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please close me. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you for your grace that you have bestowed. Father, it is so deep for us to unpack it, for us to understand it. Thank you for giving us it, Father. Thank you for giving us the ability to understand it, Father. Please help us to apply this grace that you have given us to our lives so that we may live according to your word, praising you, knowing that it is you who given us all things. You are the giver. You are the provider. And you have provided Jesus as the Savior. You have promised us that He will return. And we trust in You. We know that Your promises are true because You have kept them, Father. Thank You for Your promise of sending Jesus to return, to be the just judge, and to bring Your people to You. Father, I thank You for this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will invite you to stand and let's respond with another song, giving thanks to the Lord, our God and King. Let's sing forever. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. With a mighty hand. With, With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever and ever. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever From the rising, rising, From the rising sun, to the setting sun, his love endures forever. 
Father God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever, forever, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever and ever, forever. Amen. Please be seated. We have two prayer requests this morning. Uh, the first, if you are on the prayer chain, you know that uh, the Corman's daughter uh, was having some problems and being, being dehydrated, was in the hospital a couple of days. She got out of the hospital, and uh, Philip stopped by this morning. Um, they're taking her back to the doctor again um, just to kind of check things out. And this is right in the middle of them moving uh, to South Carolina. So we can be praying that the dehydration would resolve itself, that God would heal her, and that that would be uh, sorted out, and that it would give, continue to give them strength, because their household goods are gone already, and down in South Carolina, her, some families involved helping get all that done, and he said, this is the worst move they've ever had. Uh, so we can be praying for them, uh, for all of those things. And then we, there are others, um, now Cormans are hoping to leave tomorrow, there are others who are, who are already traveling just on vacation, so we can be praying for their safety. So please join me as we pray. Lord, we do pray for the Cormans and for their daughter. We ask that you would give, heal her completely, should give mom and dad strength as they are not only dealing with a sick child, but also in the middle of a move. So give them strength and grace, the perseverance that we talked about this morning. We thank you that your grace is real and true and you give it generously. So would you cause them to know your presence? Would you strengthen them physically and emotionally? Would you give them your peace, and would you heal their daughter? We pray, too, for those that are traveling this weekend, visiting family, taking vacations, doing other things. Would you watch over them? Give them eyes to see your goodness, how you give so many good gifts each and every day, and would you work in them as you work in us to give you thanks. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a couple of announcements um, today. Because of the holiday, there is no Sunday school, and there is no youth this evening. Also because of the holiday, the office is closed tomorrow. You please continue to pray for summer Bible camp and testify. All of the pieces are being organized. There's still opportunities to help with supplies. I think you can look out in the narthex um, to see where the list is. You can also call the church office and see what things are available. Uh, so please continue to, to, to pray for that and give as you are able. Please stand for the benediction. Now may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Go in his peace.